The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that God created the heaven and the earth. And then it goes on to say a period of about five or six days, God created everything the way He wanted it to be done, the way He wanted to see it. And God sat back, He rested, and He looked at what He had made, and behold, it was very good, the Bible says. Not just good, it was very good. God was pleased with what He had made. But you know, God wasn't done yet. God wanted something else. God wanted somebody, God wanted to create somebody that was in His image. And then God wanted to create somebody that had a choice whether to or to not, whether to or not to serve Him. So the Bible says after that, God created man in the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. And all was well. God placed Him in the garden. And God gave them a job to do. That's to keep the garden. Now it's often wondered me what exactly man did because everything was perfect. So I don't know what all man did. Today if we plant a garden, we hoe weeds, we you know, we got to tend to the fruit, but I don't know what they did, but that's okay. I'm not questioning what God said. So I just wonder what man did. And everything was going well for some time. We didn't know for how long things were going well, but along come the devil. And he did what the devil does. He creates chaos. The devil come along in Genesis 3 and he said, hath God said. He put that question in the woman's mind, put the question in mankind's mind. Hath God said. And they started thinking. And they presented something else. The devil presented something else. He said, God is holding back from you. And so man sinned. God drove them out of the garden because man sinned. And that's when that's where the fall of man began to where we are all susceptible today. Fast forward 2,000 years to Genesis chapter 6. And the world was getting increasingly wicked. Matter of fact, it was so wicked, the Bible says, Man's thoughts and intents of his heart were only wicked. That's a pretty bad place to be. Sometimes there's thoughts that come in my mind that are wicked. And in yours as well, I'm sure they are. But we take those thoughts and we put them aside. But here they were wicked continually. What a terrible world it was. But God in His great love for His people took a hundred years and built a big boat to save whoever would get on the boat. But only Noah and his sons and their wives got on. Only eight people were saved by water, the Bible tells us. God saved them. God brought them back to the earth in a certain amount of time. And then fast forward another 2,000 years to where mankind was replenished on the earth and mankind was getting sinful again. And this time God sent His Son Jesus to be the Savior of the world. The Bible says that whoever, whosoever believes Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's why Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to save you and He came to save me. That's why He came. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We look out in the world among us, there's a lot of sin out there. And we might say, well, I've never, I've never been involved in any of those wickedness. Have you ever had evil thoughts? Have we ever had lustful thoughts? Have we ever had thoughts of hatred? Have we ever entertained those thoughts in our minds? We need Jesus. We need the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. That is the only way we can live for Him. The Bible says all have sinned. That's you and me this morning, brethren. That's all of us. And there's one way to heaven, that's through Jesus. One way to heaven. That is not my message this morning. I want to extend Christian greetings to each. 
God bless y'all for being here. <clears throat> I did enjoy the Sunday school lesson this morning. I felt that with the lesson, we could have probably just continued on talking another 40 minutes and went home. There was a lot in there. And I enjoyed the discussion very much. And I'm sure you all did as well. The title of the message this morning is Called to Be Peacemakers. I don't know if I preached this message at Raleigh a couple weeks ago, and I don't know if Brother Peter was there or not, if he was here. I'm not quite sure. So if they fall asleep, it's because they have heard it before. In the mid to late 1800s, fairly local here, there was a big feud between two families in West Virginia and Kentucky, and that feud resulted in the deaths of at least 13 people that are recorded. There might have been more. These families were the Hatfields and the McCoys. I'm sure you've all heard of the Hatfields and the McCoys. They get referred to periodically when people, there's a big feud going on. They say, that sounds like the Hatfields and McCoys. History tells us that the, that the dispute started from a disagreement over some land. There was some land dispute. And later on, it escalated when the Hatfield family blamed the McCoy family for stealing a hog. And so it just, it just became a full-blown, what I like to call a knockdown drag out. And it, it, it wasn't that the families were poor. These families were very wealthy. Very wealthy. Uh, the Hatfields owned or controlled some 28 square miles of land. They had plenty going on. They didn't need any more. Okay? But they were typical humans. I guess they wanted more. And if they saw somebody was stepping on what was theirs, it was a problem. And so the feud continued. It appeared that this was something that started small and because of unforgiveness, because of hate, and refusing to make peace, it turned into something very large. It turned into a family feud that lasted for 30 years and maybe beyond, but it lasted for at least 30 years. You know, if William Hatfield, that was the father of the Hatfield family, and Randolph McCoy, if they would have chose God's way, and made peace that day. How different this story could be. But they didn't choose God's way. I didn't think they knew God. Obviously not. If they had known God, they wouldn't have ended up the way they did. But they chose the way of fighting. But if they would have chose God's way and taught their children God's way, how different could it have been? How different could it have been? Hebrews 12.14 says this, Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Do we have trouble understanding that this morning? Do we, do we hear what that verse tells us? Without which no man shall see the Lord. I believe this morning with all my heart that we all have the knowledge to know what this verse means. If I would ask you this morning, what does that verse mean? Well, it simply means if we don't follow peace, we're not going to be able to see God. It's pretty simple, isn't it? I think we all have the knowledge to understand that if we don't follow this verse, we won't get to heaven. It's easy. We need to be peacemakers. But I believe where we might come up short this morning is to live this verse out. It's easy to talk about it. It's easy to know what it says. But how about to live it? Would anybody this morning be willing to stand up and say, I have always made for peace? I've always done everything that was possible to make peace. I can't say that. I can't say that. And I doubt that you can either. I doubt that you can either. To have a heart knowledge to practice this verse. That's where the rubber meets the road. Thank you, Brother Peter. Understanding how to follow peace is not at all difficult. 
It simply means we will not do or say anything that causes strife. See, now that work is difficult. Because sometimes what I want to say is not the right thing to say. And even sometimes the thing that I want to say, well, I shouldn't say even sometimes, what I want to say is the truth. But now is not a good time to say it. Or never is a good time to say it. That's what we have to decide. Understanding how to follow peace is not difficult. It simply means we will do and we will say, we will not do or say anything that causes strife. Today's world, with our technology, communication is a little different than it was back when I was growing up. I think Brother John would probably say it's a lot different, right? It's easy today to send a text or an email or a phone call. But you know where some of the things that get said that are the hardest to digest come in the form of a text or an email? Somebody says something, somebody wants to say something, but they don't, they don't want to say it to your face. So they text or they email it to you. They text or they email it to you. If we want to be peacemakers, we're not going to say, we're not going to text or email something. We're not going to say face to face. And if we want to make peace, we will think through how's this going to be received on the other end. How's this going to if he if he or she reads this, how are they going to how are they going to how are they going to take it? How are they going to take it? To follow peace this morning, I believe it means we will pursue peace. We will pursue peaceable options. See, when a situation arises, whatever it may be, a situation arises in a church, between two people, in a family, in the workplace, wherever it may be, there's options on how to handle it. <clears throat> there's a peaceable option, and there's an option that's not so peaceable. I believe this morning that following peace is an action verb. Okay? It is something that we must pursue. It is not natural this morning for human beings human beings to be peacemakers it's not natural it is natural for us to want our way it is natural for us to want what makes me feel good i'm sorry it's not that's not us it's me it's for what i want to make makes me feel good it's not natural to want to be peacemakers to follow peace means we're going to think through the comment we're going to make we're going to think through it we're going to think through that email or that text i serve on the school board as most of you probably know. And back, you know, with this whole COVID-19 and the restrictions that we had, and, you know, the school board would occasionally get some emails or maybe some of us individually got some emails from people who were not happy of how we were structuring their school. I believe some of those emails, when I sat back and read them, I had to wonder, did they, before they sent them, did they read them and pray? How are they going to receive this? But did they just out of frustration type up an email and send it? I think it's probably the way it was. Most by the way it sent, by the way they read, most times they typed them up and send them. Out of frustration. To follow peace means we're not going to do that. We're going to think through it. To follow peace means we're going to create peace. We're not going to create strife. There's a difference. There's a vast difference. It's night and day. In Genesis 13, you can turn there if you like. Genesis chapter 13. There arose an opportunity to cause great strife and a division. And instead, Abram diffused the situation by creating a peaceable option. I'm blessed with this. I'm blessed with these few verses here. 
Genesis 13. Let's remember whose land this was. It was God's land. But God gave it to Abram. He gave Abram full rights. Abram had full grazing rights here. It was all his. It was in his power. What did he do? Genesis 13, verse 7. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. The Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdsmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is that the peaceable approach right there? Let's not strive because we're brethren. Let's, let's not fight about this because we're brothers in the Lord. You know, how different would it be if we would think if that's the approach that we would take every time a situation arises and we think we have the answer and we may have the answer. We may know the right way forward, but just because you know it right now may not be the time to drive it home. Sometimes we need to wait. Let there be no strife. I pray thee is what Abram said. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left, I will go to the right. But if thou depart to the right, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from the other. These two men had before them that day the opportunity to start a feud that would have lasted, could have lasted for generations. Abraham could have said, this is my land, God gave it to me, and you are going to graze where I tell you to. He had the right to do that. But Abram took the peaceable, godly approach. And you know what, you know what it cost Abram to do that? It cost him to have to go dig more wells. Lot chose the well-watered plain. Abram gave Lot the choice. He said, you take whatever you want, and I'll take what's left over. You go right, I go left. The land rightfully belonged to Abram. God gave it to him. But I believe this morning that Abram had full understanding that God was in control. God had given Abram a promise. And somehow... Abram knew God was going to work it out. He had full faith and assurance in God. Abram could have told Lot where to graze his cattle, but that would have caused strife. That would have cost, could have caused a lot of strife. I shouldn't say it would have because I, Abram didn't do that. But there was strife happening right between the herdsmen, and I have a feeling if Lot and Abram would have started to strive, it would have escalated. Abram took the high road, he gave Lot the choice, and Lot chose to take the best. Why didn't Lot divide it down the middle? Give Abram part of the valley and part of the mountains? I don't know. He chose the well-watered plain. He wanted what was best for himself. So by choosing the right way, it caused more work for Abram and his servants. But you know what that what you know what it was? It was the right way to handle it. Abram chose God's way. To say and to do the right things is not always the easiest. It's not always the easiest. Matter of fact, sometimes it's the hardest thing to do is to do and to say the right things. And it's the hardest thing to do sometimes to say nothing. There's a time, there's a time to say nothing. There's a time to do that. 
Why is it why is it harder sometimes to do the right thing? Because it goes against our pride. I have the answer. I know what we need to do in this situation. I need to speak. You need to hear what I have to say. Say it's pride. It's pride. It goes against us. We may feel we have every right to make that comment. You may feel you have every right to send that text or that email. Do you have that right? Do you have that right? Is that your right to do that? To do the right things means we won't. Or at least we'll review it, maybe put it away and read it again and say, is this really the right thing to do? How is the brother or sister going to receive this on the other end? Abram was more concerned about making peace than he was about having the best land for his cattle. And see, if we could adopt that thought process that we're more concerned about having peace in our church, our family, the brotherhood, our neighborhood, wherever it is, if that would be our first and foremost goal to be peaceable, it would change a lot of things. It should change a lot of things. Abram understood the value of good relationships And he was not going to let some grazing land get in the way of a good relationship. You know, we're thinking about a little valley that they grazed their sheep. I don't think it was a little valley. We're probably talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. It wasn't just a little tiny area. Abram gave up a lot. He gave up a lot. Two lot. Okay. (laughs) Be clear here. Abram gave up a lot to be a peacemaker. God blessed him for it. Abram, Abram, Abram didn't go bankrupt because of that. God continued to bless him. Abram knew he was doing the right thing. Abram understood that he didn't buy the land. God gave it to him. So who was he to fight over it? Who was Abram to fight over what God gave him? God gave him. God take it away. Didn't Job say that? God gave. God took away. I mean, Job understood it as well, didn't he? It seems we have a hard time understanding that what we have... God gave it to us in one way or the other. And so therefore, if God wants to take away and give it to somebody else, is it, well, what's the big deal? It's easier said than done. Okay? It's easier said than done. Abraham chose the high road and God spoke to him again in Genesis 13. Abram, the Lord said unto Abram, Genesis 13, verse 14, after the lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art north, south, east, and west. In other words, 360 degrees, look all directions. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it to thy seed forever. See, Abram took the high road and God blessed him for it. Had, what, if, what would happen if Abram would have started a war with what Lot wanted to do? What would have happened? Would we have that verse? I'm not sure. I can't say that. But we know Abram took the high road and God blessed him for it. I challenge us this morning to take the high road. When there's a situation arises, put yourself down. Take Abram's road. He took the high road. What would have happened that day if Abram had not made peace? Another verse, Romans 14, verse 19 says this. Let us therefore follow after peace. I'm sorry, let me start over. Let us therefore follow after things which make for peace and things which wherewith may edify one another. It goes hand in hand. This verse tells us we need to go after things that make for peace. There's things that don't make for peace. There's things that cause strife. See, Lot was causing strife. Abram didn't want strife. Abram wanted peace. 
It means if we're in a situation that could be contentious, we follow the peaceable route. Instead of saying what we think would be said, we'll, we'll, I'm sorry, instead of thing, saying what we think should be said, and it may be true, but now is not the right time. The last part of the verse says that we may edify one another. How often do we edify by our words? How often do we tear down by our words? Far too often. Far too often what we say is because we, want, we say something because we want to tell them. And that cuts people down. Can we edify somebody by offending them? If we, if we offend somebody, have we edified them? Chances are no, we have not. We edify by making peace, by being peaceable. I believe this morning that peace and edification go together. If we are peaceable people, we are then edifying one another. Abram edified Lot. He edified the situation. Could have been far different. Being peaceable here this morning, I believe, is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not just a good way to live. It is the way to live. I don't think we can be a Christian this morning and go around causing strife wherever we go. I don't think we can do that. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's not where God wants us to be. God wants us to be peacemakers. Verse 22 of this chapter in Romans 14 says, <clears throat> Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. The verse is saying that we can be condemned by something good. How is that possible? Verse 21 says this, It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. You know, today we don't consider one kind of meat above another. Well, yeah, in my mind there's meat I like better than others, okay? But we don't consider this meat is wrong. It's not wrong for me to eat chicken, pork, beef, whatever it is. It's not. It's just not a big deal. But back then, that was a big deal. There were, there were certain meats that the Jews considered unclean and wrong to eat. And they held by it pretty strong. But Jesus had done away with all that. It didn't matter what kind of meat you ate. But Paul's taking the peaceable approach here. Paul's taking the peaceable approach. There were people who considered certain meats wrong, and Paul said, in order to create peace, stay away from it. Just, just be peaceable about it. Just be peaceable. I was in a situation, I'm going to say 10, 12 years ago, um, and I believe the choice of meat being served that evening was pork, and there was some people there that evening, I believe there was only one person there, that did not believe in eating pork. He believed it was wrong to eat pork. Well, all of us still ate pork. But there was one brother there. I think he might have been had a, had a good relationship with the man that was there that refused to eat pork. He himself refused to eat meat that night. See, he took the peaceable approach. It wasn't. It would not have been wrong for him to eat pork. Not at all. He could eat. He could eat pork with a clean conscience. But he chose not to because he didn't want to offend the man that didn't want to eat pork. And I, I saw that. I observed that, and I thought that was that brother took the high road. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8.13, Wherefore, if meat make my brother offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Are we willing to take that approach? Are you willing to say, I will not eat any more meat as long as I live if it makes somebody offend? I mean, I'm a meat eater all the way. If I have, you know, if I have my choice, if, if, if the table is set and my wife would tell me you can have one thing on the table, I'm going for the meat platter. Of course, I'm a man. That's what I would do, right? All right. But would I be willing to say I won't eat any 
Could it make somebody offend? Paul's saying that that's what he's willing to do. To sum up verse 21, Paul is saying that even if there is nothing wrong with a certain thing that you and I are doing, if there's nothing wrong with it, if it's a chance we're offending somebody, then we shouldn't do it. That's a high road. That's a high calling right there. That's a very high calling. If there's a chance we're offending somebody, it's better we don't do it. Now, I believe this morning, brothers and sisters, that is how you pursue peace. You go after it. You see, peace doesn't just happen. You have to make it happen. Conflicts happen very easily. All of us can attest to that, that conflict happens very easily. Peace is something you have to go after and make it happen. Sometimes following peace requires action. I shouldn't say sometimes. Most of the time, following peace requires action on your part then on my part. It's not just going to happen. The second part of Hebrews 12, 14, which is our text verse, says, And holiness, follow peace with all men and holiness. So what is holiness? This is a state of continual sanctification. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continual, continual sanctification. It's that life of purity and separation from the world and all its lusts. There's got to be a separation. We can't be part of the world and the lusts and be called pure. We can't be. It's not possible. Without that separation and sanctity, no man shall ever see the Lord and stand in His presence. There must be a separation. There must be a separation. This morning, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior and your sins are under the blood, then you are holy. There's a term that we don't might we might feel uncomfortable using that term. You know, we, do we walk around saying, "Hey, good morning, I'm Brother Ivan, and I'm holy." Okay. We don't do that, do we? We don't go around telling people that we're holy. But the Bible tells us that we need to be holy. It's a life that we need to live. We need, we need to be holy and separate from the world. The Bible tells us that is the only way to God. Separation from the world is this. Number one, accepting Christ as your personal Savior. That has to be first and foremost in our life of separation. Number two, allowing God's Word to dictate our lives. Living by the Bible, we're going to be judged by it. I was talking to a man the other day, had a long conversation with him. He is a professing Christian, but he has he has some things in his life that have, are holding him back. And I told him, I said, I can only point you to one thing. And I said, that is the Word of God. I said, that is the only thing, the only place you can get your answers. I said, God's Word is what you're going to be judged by at the end of the world. And I said, so Why? So I said, your answers are in the Word. I said, you must search for them. I said, you must search for the answers in God's Word. I don't know what he's doing today. Maintaining, is said, number three, maintaining is separation from the world. We could talk all day about this. What is separation from the world? That's a long, that's, 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 that's a long subject. 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We can't have no parts of the world, brothers and sisters. We can't. We can't be attached to the world. And see, go all the way back to Abram. Abram had a very good understanding of this. Even though these verses were written thousands of years afterward, Abram had a very clear understanding that he was not to be attached to the things of the world. Lot wants the grazing land, let him have it. I'll go somewhere else. I'm not going to fight. It's not mine. 
Abram had no attachment to the things of the world. He proved it by the way he lived. He proved it by the way he lived and how he acted. This morning, we're all in the world here. This morning, we're all here. We're all in the world, are we not? Or we're not to be of the world. And see, that's where it can get complicated. How is it possible to be in the world this morning and not be part of the world? It's actually fairly easy. It's actually not that difficult. To understand it is easy, that is. But to live it, that's where it gets a little more complicated sometimes. When we become, when we become Christians, we have different goals, different destination. Our lives are different. Our thought lives are different. But I want to say this morning, these things don't happen in our own power. You of your own and me of myself will never, ever have the power to live above sin. I will never have the power to live in a way that I'm separate from the world. It has to be only by God's power, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way it can happen. It happens if we confess Christ and we confess Jesus Christ. He gives us that power to live for Him. That's the only way it will ever happen. It's not possible. As Christians this morning, we have farms, we have jobs, we have businesses. How is it different from the world? The world has farms, jobs, and businesses. The same. How is it different? I hope it's a whole lot different. I hope the way we deal with people is a whole lot different. I hope the Christian businessman has a reputation of being honest. I hope the Christian farmer has a reputation of being honest. The Christian's going to pay his bills. The Christian's going to report all his income to the IRS, not just most of it. You know, I've been in various conversations over the years, professing Christians. You know, I still remember the one man said, he said, we, we were doing business with something, and, and um, he said, well, I'm not going to report this to the government because I pay them enough of taxes. Well, who's he to say he's paying enough? You pay him what you make, right? But I guess he felt he paid enough, so he's going to keep some back. A Christian's going to do honestly with people. With people. Another difference with the Christians is what he does with his substance. That might be harder than anything. What we do with what we have. You know, it's easy to put money in the offering plate. We give money to the church. When there's a big need out there, we write checks. That's easy. But what do we do with what we have left over? What do we do with what we consider ours? The 80 or 90% we have kept, whatever it may be. I just pulled a number. I don't, I don't know what don't know how it all works here, okay? Maybe, maybe they give 50%. So what are you doing with the 50% that you're keeping back for yourself? What are you doing with that money? See, God's just as interested in that than He is what you put in the offering plate this morning. He's just as interested with that. In Luke 15, verse 13, with the prodigal son, what did He do with His money? Who did He spend it on? He spent it on Himself. See, that's worldly. Luke 15, 13, many days after the younger son gathered all together, took his journey to a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. The American dream. Work hard, retire early, and live it up. The younger son did that. He retired real early, I guess. The Bible gives the Christian instructions on what to do with his substance, and that is to give as the Lord has prospered, to help those in need to support the church. 1 John 3.17 asks this question, Whoso has this world's good and sees his brother have need and showeth up his bowels of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in him? I'll answer that for you. It doesn't. If you have the means 
to help somebody in need and you walk past. God's love, I'm sorry, is not dwelling in you the way it should. The, um, can't think of the account right now, uh, the, the injured man that was on, uh, he was journeying along, he was injured, and the Levite and the priest came along the Samaritan. Who had the love of God in their hearts? Do you think the Samaritan didn't have anywhere to go that day? He was just traveling for the fun of it and had all day to get there and had nowhere to go and all day to get there? I don't think so. I think he had somewhere to go. But he saw an injured man by the road and he stopped what he was doing. Took that man, took of his own substance and made sure that man could continue his life. The priest and the Levite who were educated men, they looked at him, kept on going. I got somewhere to go. They didn't have patience to help. We talked about patience in my Sunday school class. They didn't have the patience for it. They had something important to do. I'm getting a little bit off my subject this morning here, okay? Getting a little off my subject there, but it is very important in how we view what we have. The world's good is a substance that we need to live. The daily necessities. That's the world's good, okay? The daily necessities. If we have to share and we see a need, we have an obligation. We have an obligation to help that person. The first message that John the Baptist preached, he told his audience to share their goods. That's the first message. He preached repentance. He told me, and then they asked him, so what do we do? Share what you have. Okay? Jesus came along and he taught love and compassion for each other to for everyone else as well. Share what you have. It's not yours after all. It belongs to God. Get back on my subject again here. The last part of verse 14 says, Without which no man shall see the Lord. Follow peace and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Brothers, it's very serious that we follow peace, that we make things for peace. It's not all about us. Matter of fact, it's about the other person. Are we here to hear? Are we here to help each other out? Yes, we are. That's why it's called brotherhood. That's why it's called brotherhood. In conclusion, Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men in holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. This is a command, not a suggestion. And it requires action. It requires action on my part. It requires action on your part. We are to seek peace and we are to pursue it. That is, go after it. That means if an, op- if an option arises where we could quarrel or make peace, we're to make peace. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs us, we're to seek peace and to pursue it. How well are we doing? We need to ask ourselves that question.